in my time ministering at Hope College these last three years, I've gotten a lot of theological questions. And some of the most frequent center on the, uh, the topics of faith and grace and good works and justification, which I think makes sense given the Hope is a mostly Protestant and a fervently Protestant context. And so I, I think looking at our, our gospel today, this parable that Jesus gives us, I think it gives us a chance to look at, at some of those uh, sort of key questions and ideas. And I think the first thing that the gospel confronts us with is the need for justification, the need for God's grace to make us good. In the beginning of the parable, this man going on a journey calls his servants to him. Now, they're his servants, not, not his friends, uh, at least not yet anyway. And so they have that kind of relationship. And because they're his servants, in a sense, they're poor. They're the hired help. You know, he's the rich man. And so he has these poor people that he, he calls to himself. And so right away, it, it sets up, uh, I think, the idea that, you know, we are, we are poor. You know, I, I preached on original sin uh, regularly. Um, but I think it's important because, you know, Jesus is only the answer if you're asking the right question. And the right question only comes when you understand yourself, like the, uh, rightly understand what position that you're in and what you need. So it starts out with the need for justification. This is something that, you know, all Christians uh, agree on. Okay, so then we move into the second part here which is the, the gift of grace. And the thing to notice about the, the gift, the entrustment of, of his possessions to uh, the servants is, well, first of all, it, it, it's all of it. It says he entrusted his possessions to his servants. It's not just like, you know, he went to the, this you know, bank vault and pulled out a couple items. It's, it seems like he gives everything to his servants. This is a great... A great act of, of trust. And it's a lot. And Jesus is, you know, he's, with these numbers that he gives, he's, uh, he's trying to emphasize, like, this is a big gift. Different scholars have questions about, you know, how do you, how do you value golds, you know, 2,000 years ago and blah, blah, blah. But basically, rough calculation, one, one talent of gold is $2.3 million. It's a lot of money. Uh, so he's, he's giving away about, you know, $15 million or more. Uh, to his, entrusting them to his servants. And the servants, um, though they all have abilities, and different abilities, it says, um, without, this, without this money, they couldn't go out and make a lot more money. So in order for them to grow rich themselves and, and uh, to... Uh, mass this kind of wealth, they have to be given something. No matter how much talent or ability they have, without this infusion of capital into their lives, they, could only, they would only be able to earn what they could make by their own labor. So no matter how much talent they had for making money, you know, in business, without the actual money to do something, they're all sort of, in a sense, equally poor. And this goes to the idea that, that God's love is not earned. You know, that, that just as the master entrusts all his possessions to his servants freely, so also God entrusts 
his grace to us. And really, when we, when we think about it, what is this talent that he's giving? Oftentimes, it's interpreted as talents, like, you know, I can play the piano or, you know, juggle or something. Um, but that's not really what Jesus is referring to in, in the gospel. You know, when, when this, the, the rich man gives all his, his possessions, what that signifies is actually the life of Jesus himself, the life of God. That's what he's giving to us, his servants. And I think this is one of the, so both in, in classic Protestant theology and, and Catholic theology, there's this recognition that we don't deserve this sort of infusion of capital, this infusion of grace that, that we get from God. But it's, it's seen in different ways. You know, in, in the traditional Protestant understanding, this, this grace, this, you know, cash is called imputed. You know, it covers, you know, just as God's grace, it, God's grace covers over sin. In a sense, it doesn't sort of transform us. You know, the classic image is of Luther's theology is poop covered in snow. You know, if your dog poops on the lawn and it snows outside, you don't see the poop anymore. The lawn just looks really nice, but there's still poop underneath. Um, but in, in the classic Catholic understanding, it's actually that the poop gets changed into snow. Just like with this infusion of grace, the servants who were poor now are actually rich. We don't just like call them rich, they are actually rich. They now have the possessions that their rich master uh, used to have, that he really gives it to them. And where faith comes in, faith is, is the beginning of the story of salvation, because the servants in, in the parable, well, they, they need to believe that this is not a trick. You know, I mean, it, it's a ridiculous sort of scenario that, that the master would give away so much, would trust so much. But where faith comes in is they need to believe, all right, I've, I've got this now. Like, this is, he's, he's entrusting me with this. I actually have something, and I can, I can do stuff with this. And, yeah, the master really is that good. He's giving me this chance. You know, that, that's a really awesome opportunity. So faith is what allows us to receive the gift. But that's not the end of the story. So the third movement of the, the drama is that the, the, the master leaves, the rich man leaves for a long time. St. Jerome says that the, this signifies the interval between the ascension of Jesus into heaven and his second coming at the end of time. So we are now, in terms of where we're at in our lives, we are in the situation of these servants who've gotten the money but are not yet called to account. And I think the, the key point of this, this time away of the master is freedom. The servants really are free to use this real money that they've been, that they've been given. And they have to make their own choices about how they're going to do that. Now, it wouldn't be possible for them to do all, you know, to do all these things if they hadn't been given a gift. But they really are free. And this infusion, infusion allows them to do things they couldn't do on their, on their own. So on sort of the big moral level, what is the big commandment? 
Love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and Jesus commands that. But in the Christian understanding, like, we cannot actually fulfill that commandment without God's help. You know, imagine if the rich man said to his servant, all right, go out and make five talents. I'm not going to give you anything, but you just have to go and, and make $10 million with nothing. How can you do that? But when he gives the servant these five talents, now the servant actually is able to do what he could not do before. And I think this is really important when, when dealing with, you know, uh, moral struggles in life, you know, especially where there's habitual sin or addiction or something like that. You know, and these things, they don't just operate on the spiritual level in the intellect and in the will. You know, there's also a, a biological component to them. You know, if you, there's a lot that's been done, you know, in the past few decades and in recent years on the science of addiction. It's really interesting, you know, what parts of their brain are affected differently by different addictions and that sort of thing. And, and they have real effects. But what this gift of grace says is that even though those effects are real, we're not simply bound by them, that there's another force at work. And that's why, you know, many people experience, you know, in coming to faith and coming to Jesus, they experience freedom from addiction. Now, it may take a long time. Sometimes it happens instantly. Sometimes it takes a decade. Um, but there's another real force that, that, that gives a freedom that we wouldn't have if God just left us on our own. And so there's a hope that this, this infusion of cash that the rich man gives is meant to give us hope that we can, we can do great things for Jesus. And then the fourth movement here of the gospel is the return of the master and judgment. And we see this, this multiplication of riches. The servants were given some and they bring back a lot more. And this is, I think, uh, you know, it signifies good works. Like they take the grace they've been given and they multiply it with the good works that they do. And, and this signifies also one of the, sort of the key differences in Catholic theology with classic Protestant theology um, is that a lot of the reformers thought that we sin even in doing good works. Even those are, are tainted by sin. And so we can't, in a sense, sort of rely on them uh, for salvation. But that, sort of, that sort of picture of good works is not actually in the, in the parable here. The picture is that servants are given and they can actually do great things with this, good things that please God. I think the other thing that it, that it shows, and we see this in the, the different responses to the three servants, is good works are required. Faith is the beginning of salvation because faith tells us that out of love for us, God became man, he suffered and died on the cross, and he, he continues to give himself to us through his Holy Spirit, through his sacraments, through his word, all that good stuff, through other people and their love for us. But that it's not enough to receive. It's not enough to receive. Faith allows us to receive, but faith also tells us that we have to give. And, and that's where good works come in. You know, the love of God can't be earned, but it can be returned. And that is essential for salvation.
that we must return the love that God has for us. And, and so this, this servant who receives the talent, the one talent, he receives a lot of money, $2.3 million. I'll take it. But it's not enough. It's not enough to be welcomed into heaven. It's not enough to receive. It sounds like a lot. It sounds like he's rich, but it's not enough. He's got to bring something else back. And so uh, I think a practical aspect is that we have to realize that when we've been blessed by God um, with gifts, you know, with any, with faith, even if we seem like we have less faith than, than the person sitting next to us, well, we still have some, and that some can be multiplied. So it should give us hope. But it also, there's also an obligation that we, we can't just bury it, that we have to use it. And that's one practical aspect. But a second is, I think, humility. Because in the parable, not everybody gets the same amount. And, and the judgment is not based on how much you got at the beginning. It's how well did you use what you got. So the guy with two gets the same welcome as the guy with five. They are judged based on what they've been given. And so we, we have to be very careful you know, when we see others who seem not to be putting out as many good works, you know, not producing the same amount, perhaps they've been given less. And, and there's the need always to be attentive to what, well, I'm going to be judged on what I have, not because I've done better than, you know, Father Charlie over there, very lazy priest, you know, terrible. I'm just kidding, Father. Um, <laughs> And this is what Teresa of Avila said. She said what kept her humble was the realization of how much she'd been given. So she knew she was blessed. She knew she did a lot of good works. But she also realized that in terms of grace, she was drinking from the fire hose and other people, you know, had the teacup. And she was going to be judged based on how much she had been given. And that kept her humble, even though she was a very holy woman. And so in being blessed, we have, to, we have to bless others and we have to share with what we have. I mean, it can be material goods, material blessings, or, or spiritual. And the last movement of, of the gospel is accountability and responsibility. And, and the servant, uh, the wicked servant in, in the parable, does the exact same thing that Adam does in the Garden of Eden. You know, when God calls Adam to account, you know, why did you do this? He's like, well, it was that woman you put here with me, you know. Like, your fault, Lord. You know, if you hadn't put her here, I would have been fine. And that's what the servant does here. You know, he says, well, I knew you were, uh, you know, an uh, unjust man that you plant and gather where you did not scatter. You know, that sort of thing. You're a demanding person. <laughs> and so he tries to shift the blame uh, to God. But then we're, I think, back to freedom that we, unlike Calvin, um, John Calvin, you know, Catholics don't, don't believe in double predestination. You know, that we are not damned because God has decided to do that from all eternity. It's, it's our free choices. So God does not predestine, uh, God does not predestine people to hell. That free choice is a real thing and, and that we must accept responsibility for that. So in terms of putting all this into practice, I want, to, I want to end with a little sort of spiritual exercise of 
blessing other people with the riches that we have. Because if you're sitting here today, tonight, on this like dreary Sunday evening, you know, and you made it through this terrible weather, um, you have obviously something uh, that you can share. So I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. And I want you to think of the most spiritually poor person that you can. Someone that you think is really, really without grace, like really a bad dude or dudette. Someone that's just no good. And I want you to take a moment now from your own store of faith and hope and love to ask God to bless that person with the riches that they need. 